Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Hi, this is Lisa Wardlaw, host of Insurance Unplugged. Joining us today on our series, AI in the City, is Helen Yu. Helen, would you like to introduce yourself for our guests? We'd love to know a little bit more about your very, very, very robust background. Hi, Lisa. Such a pleasure being here with you today. And uh, I am Helen Yu, CEO and founder of Taigon Advisory. We provide fractional CXO service to young companies and influencer marketing to fortune brands. Uh, I'm also a host of CXO Spice. That's a platform for people to share their point of view on innovation and explain how to make it happen in real world. So financial services, including insurance, has been one of the focus area uh, since my uh, 12 years time at Oracle and has stayed, you know, throughout my entire career. Love it. I love it. And I'm a huge advocate of your podcast. Um, for those of you who do not follow Helen on CXO Spice, her podcast, go follow her. It streams on all major services. It's on her LinkedIn profile. She's got such an amazing voice and point of view, which is why I'm so excited that you joined us here today, um, helping me launch my podcast and what an honor it is to have you as a guest. Not only are you somebody that the industry thinks of as, you know, a hallmark and somebody to watch in terms of trends and breaking it down, but you're somebody that has always made it real. And you've always been somebody to go beyond the hype. So you and I were talking about hype <laughs> and about the three trends that we used in our promo to hopefully get people here to listen to this over and over and over again. And one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me of like an actual trend is that AI is not this separate thing. It's not this separate thing on a menu or separate thing in the technical catalog that you go and deploy. And Helen, you would, you and I haven't talked about this before, but I'm a big proponent right now of enterprise AI. And by that, I mean the, um, latitudinal, like across the enterprise as opposed to just the longitudinal. And that, that's kind of, I think what you're alluding to in some of your hype. Can you break that down for our guests in terms of AI is not its own thing? Yeah. Before I, answer your question, Lisa, I have to give you some prop. I watched you in action at ITC Vegas last week. I was so uh, proud of you, right? Thank you for your dedication to insurance and transformation. And the energy you bring to the room was just infectious. So that's why I love to be on this podcast to support you launching this because, you know, your, your success is our success, right? As, as a whole for women leaders in the industry, we don't have enough female leaders in the entire financial service industry. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Me. We got to do this together, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking about AI, AI should never be a standalone, right? If you think about it, AI is just a tool. 
And yeah. what it does, you know, we have to leverage AI's strengths to augment. I, I say so we should name it IA, right? Individual augmentation rather than I, I really don't like artificial world word yeah. to begin with. And then if you think about it, um, there are so many things we can do today that is mundane task in insurance, right? From underwriting to claim processing. And in the old days, I don't know where, like I'm a homeowner and auto, you know, car <laughs> owner, right? We, you know, if anything happens to our house or a car, our car unexpectedly in the old days, we have to go to the office and file a claim. And now things are different, right? AI can certainly play a significant role. That's being said, we shouldn't really tell the person and user, hey, here's the AI. You don't have to tell them AI is being powered, you know, you know, they, their solution are being powered by AI. You can just focus the customer experience and how do you smooth out what we call paperless, paperless processing and how do you help um, validate their claim is really uh, true and and has the merit. And then you can also really leverage that to provide that kind of seamless experience to users, but you don't have to tell them they're talking to a chatbot versus a real agency. Right? <laughs> so there are a lot of things we can do. And then when it comes to enterprise AIs wait, more. Wait, Helen, I have to say to you, when the chatbots first came, I call it like like digital 1.0. And yeah. I have a thing that I've said on other podcasts when I've been interviewed. It's like operator, exit, <laughs> get me out of this digital loop. So to your point, and I just, I just had to kind of amplify that. And I think Steve Jobs was like brilliant at this, right? Oh, yeah. And of course you would, you would, I'm sure accolade this from a influencer perspective. You know, Apple, when they rebranded was, the tool that geniuses use, the tool that creatives use. He never talked about the tech. Yeah. Like clearly the tech had to work, exactly. <laughs> but it was, it was this emotional connection to that's what creatives use. That's what geniuses of the world use. And I think you're bringing up a great point here, which is nobody cares how mm-hmm. the, the, the wheels are cobbled together as long as what they experience makes them feel that it was intuitive and fit for purpose. And so I think, Helen, that's a great lineage to what you were saying. Exactly. You're right on, right? When it comes to business AI or enterprise AI, you know, people, what's really concerning, right? Some people have the misconception that AI will replace them. The reality is AI doesn't have the knowledge to regulate, you know, what are the regulatory requirements, right? For insurance. I mean, how does AI know until you build that into your algorithm so that we really need human in the loop loop to remove the bias, right? The, The fact is AI is biased to begin with. And then human has to be in the loop to take that bias out of the data. And then, you know, the, the more higher quality of the data you have, the better modeling you can build. And then how do you build that model without the bias? You know, you have to have people come into the, you know, with the background. Speaking of Apple, right? When Apple, Apple watch the initial launch, we all know the story because, you know, the engineer who built that didn't have a woman. There, so when they built a health app, it did not have the the major uh, uh, metrics in there included. 
for women. So that right. was a failure, but then they, you know, corrected that fairly quickly afterwards. So that tells you when you build an AI model, you have to have human, not just a human, but human who represent the majority or, or all, right? You know, human, not just single race or single gender of the people. So important. And I, I was thinking about this, like, you know, I, th- I think a lot of times we think about things like optimization, like, and, you know, Helen, especially in the CXO world, right? You've got the finance lens, you've got the COO view, you've got the CO view, you've got the CMO view. And at the end of the day, insurance by definition has been quite verticalized, like because it's so deep technically, mm-hmm. as is banking, as are other regulated industries. And I'd love to hear your take on this. Um, that when we think about this, we've got to think about connecting dots outside of maybe, because I think of a lot of what's coming in now with AI is conversation mm-hmm. and communication. And how do we go beyond just fragmented optimization, meaning point solutions? Because I don't, I personally like my prediction, and I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. My prediction is AI is a lot, it's a really big, expensive tool with a lot of power to throw at simple optimization. We need to be doing much more um, connecting and weaving together things that weren't possible before that, that, that intuitively the way human design works needed to be woven together. We just, you know, we had more fragmented, like uh, to your point, like digital tools and things like that. How do you see, the role of like AI governance kind of pulling together, if you will, these very traditionally verticalized things. And I know that you also had a lot of experience in banking and how do you maybe leverage some of that experience for what insurers should be thinking about right now? Yeah, that's a great question, Lisa. Uh, I, as you said, I deployed AI um, about six years ago at a global banks, right? At that time, AI was quite different um, you know, you have to write the code <laughs> to deploy AI. <laughs> and uh, now we have generate, uh, generative AI model is much more robust and easier to understand, right? But regardless, and as in the highly regulated industry, AI governance and operating model play a crucial role, uh, especially in financial services. It can be a very vast area. No one, I mean, including myself, can claim that I'm a expert in financial services because, you know, even for insurance, right, you have PNC, you have life and health, you have auto property. So everything is so much in there, even with banking, right? There's so much into it. And uh, it's hard for you to say I'm an expert in everything, but, you know, uh, the, the governance model is so crucial because what it does, these model ensure the AI is used ethically, responsibly, and effectively with an organization. A few things, right? Because insurance is a highly regulated industry, um, usually when we talk about the implementation or deployment, we should start with a business case, right? The, the non-critical yeah. business case as a pilot. When they say non-mission critical, that means that it does not put you out of the business, right? If you <laughs> experiment something and uh, then you need to make sure you have the you know, good. Which Helen, just, well, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, <laughs> yeah. but I do want to make a like really important point here. Yeah. I, 
and um, was fortunate enough in one part of my uh, career that claims reported to me. I think of claims being mission critical. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting that when people want to optimize, they always start at claims. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> saying that AI shouldn't be deployed in claims, but I do think of it as mission critical. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think you're bringing up a good point here, which is where can we find that's not immediately front and center, but can get enough value that we can extend beyond optimization only. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I just think that that's important because I think a lot of people think of those front end facing things mm-hmm. first. In fact, all the use cases I've heard have been front end client facing things. And that's, would you advocate for that given the mission critical that you're just talking about? Um, I would say it's no one size fits all, right? It really depends on where you are. If you're experiencing the most pain, uh, so, and then you want to take that pain out of it uh, sooner and maybe you can, but I would say always put it on the side, experiment, pilot that on the side and do that in parallel, not to discontinue your existing <laughs> process, right? Claim processing. And uh, the, the uh, mid-sized companies I work with, their PNC, uh, you know, the mutual uh, companies where they only have one person or two people that handle claims, for example, they cannot afford taking them away for system implementation. That's where right. bottleneck could be. But if you have a larger team like the MetLife and larger companies, then you might be able to afford, you know, for yeah. a team of people. So it really depends on the situation. And that's being said, optimizing that, I always look at your customer journey, right? Where you have the most pain is a claim processing or underwriting or it can be customer experience. But I often think that you start from the end goal, right? Select a small business case to experiment, making sure you where you have the data. Oftentimes, if you don't have enough of data to really represent that, um, to, to allow you to build that into the, the um, AI data, the data model, then you won't be, it w- wouldn't be a good area to begin with. And then sometimes if you want to build something new, like customer experience, maybe it does not require a lot of data, right? So it depends on what you're looking at. And then, so to me, optimization is if most critical part is to benchmark where you're at. How are you going to measure the success, right? You were saying, yeah. okay, I want to, you know, reduce the date in the date, claim processing days from a week to, to one day. And then that would be a good benchmark. And if you don't have a benchmark, you may never know if this, you know, how much money you put in or how much investment you make. And does that really generate a result you want? And then don't forget to build in the resources, the skill set you need to make that happen, right? And because that's also part of your investment. And to me is that really think about what if, if you don't do anything, what's going to happen, right? And that's yeah. the, the biggest risk to me if you just, they're not doing anything uh, and you could disappear, uh, disappear in a few years. So I think there's like many interesting aspects to what you just said. I want to, I want to tease out the, the first one I want to like part of this show is we're going to go behind the scenes and we're going to keep it really real and go into the discussions that we know are happening behind closed doors. So let's go there. One of the first conversations that we know are happening, it's November, about to be December. We're coming up on the end of the year. 
rounding into 2024 and budgets are finalized and annual reports will be coming out in March 2024. And Helen, you've worked for lots of large companies in your career. A um, race to say, what are we saying in our annual report? So a little bit of what's going on behind the executive door is what I call the byline in the annual report. We we saw this with geospatial, by the way. So what are we going to say about AI? And then there's going to be the real practical, but what are we actually doing? And then there will be the users and the stakeholders <laughs> rolling their eyes when they read that byline on the annual report, right? Like It was like, wait, do I work in a different company? Do we actually do what that report? And I'm not saying it's fabricated, but I'm just saying there's this mixed reality right now with the need to exclaim what we're doing with the timeline to experiment with the race to compete against our peers. And anytime we have these kind of really big transformatory techniques, there is a definite need, a responsibility, if you will, of the executives to say we're moving and in what direction we're moving. So if, especially with the lens that you have on the CXO lens, how would you imagine those conversations playing out? And then what would your advice be for all angles of that conversation? Mm-hmm. So the user group, the analyst group, as well as the C-suite that's having this conversation right yeah. now. I would uh, definitely simplify the the thinking process here, right? I start with the domain knowledge. When it comes to insurance, there are four key domains that AI can play a key role. The first one would be underwriting. The second one would be claims processing. Third one is risk assessment. And then the last one, the most important one is customer engagement. When you think about insurance or, you know, the AI transformation from those lens and then, you know, you can really think about what needs to be true, right? Where are we at with these four pillars? And then what needs to be true to optimize where we are at? And how can we, you know, where do we need AI to help, you know, optimize these pillars, one of the pillars? And focusing on one at a time. And then you have to understand your data really, really well, right? When I say, well, you have to understand, hey, what type of data do we have for each of them? Is it policy data? Claims data, customer records, industry specific data sets do we have? And then identify where you collect the data, why you, you know, collect the data. Do you have any exposure or risk? Because they, you have to understand where you may have the risk, right? Associate with that. And then if you want to create an AI model to train or training model analysis, that's where you need to know where the potential exposure you may have. And then I would also think about identify a business problem. Where do you have the biggest, you know, business problem in the, you know, if you look at these four pillars, is that internal underwriting process or the claim, you know, the time takes too long, or maybe we have major risk exposure from cyber perspective or, you know, customer engagement, customer experience rating is really low, right? If that's the case and then focusing on one of those, and then you look at the operational efficiency, customer pain points, 
And then sometimes it could be fraud detection needs, right? You may need that, you know, you're paying too much premium. You're not really profitable. And then there's reason for that. And maybe you can automate that process, have AI do more fraud detection initial one, and then pass it to the real agent uh, before that happens. So I think those are the things we need to do. And then once you do all these ground work, you can customize your AI models. And that's where <laughs> you can mitigate the risk, right? Do much better and collaboration. One thing I've, I learned, Lisa, and you probably would agree with me, in insurance in, in vertical, the ecosystem is so critical, Right. Because not yeah. every single company sure. can do everything, right? You're either a pol- you know, policy admin system or you claim you're good at claim or <laughs> sometimes you are, you know, a analytical company. So there you work together, you know, small one works with a bigger one. You, you really, uh, build a very strong ecosystem to support each other and grow together. And so relationship really matters and customer experience. It all matters, right? And that's the thing that because yeah. your reputation will be out there. Everybody talks. I mean, when they talk about the company, they know you know who you are, type of uh, world, rather than other industry. Uh, if you have a sounding solution, you can succeed. And here, regardless of your solution, obviously you need to have a solid solution. But if you don't have a good reputation, you know, driving customer experience, you won't uh, excel. In, in this yeah. industry. Well, and, and, and Helen, like, this is so interesting, right? Because every solution, every solution in the ecosystem is like, I got a little AI. I got AI. You know, it's like, who doesn't have AI sit down? Like everybody would be standing. It'd be the fastest way to get on an entire like standing room ovation at any conference right now. But there's like a little bit of, in my mind, a little bit of um, risk. And I think that executives and leaders are going to have to become very immersed in, I used to call it composing and decomposing the technology. That that was actually one of my jobs. Mm-hmm. I would compose and decompose mm-hmm. tech for like when I was doing innovation. Um, because you're going to have to like thread through, well, what is their AI? Is it is it congruent with your overall AI strategy or not? Do you want to leverage the way they're doing it, the way this company is chosen or not? Um, which is why I keep thinking like enterprise AI strategy is going to be so important. And we've also referred to it um, as an AI operating model. But really, Helen, in particular, I was curious to ask you, in this lens of like this composing, decomposing, understanding in the ecosystem, all the spin-ups of AI that are kind of being added like rapid fire to the, to the tooling that you may already be using or may be implementing. Um, I think prompt engineering to your point about domain expertise. AI is only as smart as you prompt it. Like your prompting has to be very, very, very specific, mm-hmm. very critical. And you have to have a lot of in, like, I'll call it um, energy for the depth and amount of prompting you're going to do. And so, you know, we haven't yet, to my knowledge, had a lot of prompt engineers hanging around at the insurance companies. Like, right, we're, we're trying to pull them over from, like, other companies, maybe, like, banking, maybe other places that have been a little, like, more experienced, maybe been doing AI for 10, 20 years, even though we've had open AI come forward. 
What do you think about prompt engineering and the role it's playing in the AI journey right now? What, how should people be thinking about that? You know, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I prompting engineer absolutely will become more uh, in demand, right, in the era of AI, because you got to have people not only have the technical background, but also uh, understand insurance, I think about it because, you know, I, I talked about domain knowledge earlier. You, you, they need to know right. ins and out of. Not- you prompted me to think about prompt engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, absolutely. They need to be skilled. They need to be quick. They need to be able to connect the dots between tech and insurance, right? So those are so critical that, and to me, in absolutely is a growing profession. Um, and yeah. then, you know, those are the ones in, in the old days when we implemented AI at financial firms as a highly technical team. Now the new look of the engineer, right? I actually uh, sat at the session, Sabine session, uh, SAS, uh, Franklin and SAS talk about it, right? The new look of the engineers are totally different in today's environment. They're right. more business savvy, they can speak business language. They may not be the one who writes the code, but they know what questions to ask, right? This is about prompting engineer. So that's, I think, the new trend. And then uh, absolutely, regardless of the industry, but in particular, it was insurance and financial services. Uh, that would be absolutely in higher demand. Uh, and then it also helps they can connect the dots to uh, risk management as well, right? Customer engagement, risk management as well. And then talk about compliance and regulation. They connect it to us with legal and they ha- help you better collaborate with partners and customers and, uh, and also can help educate internal teams. Um, I, I just think that that's uh, fantastic. I love that. I love that title. I don't know if that exists today. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening and I, you did prompt me by your domain expertise. So I was thinking about prompt engineering and I was thinking like, we don't have, to my knowledge, prompt engineering teams, departments, et cetera. And the, the thing that I'm sitting here when I, when I listen to you and I kind of reflect back on, you know, um, and Emma Roloff and I were talking about this, which is like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we started this with like women and women in tech and, you know, I, I was thinking about how complicated and powerful the technology is becoming. And on one hand, we could think of that as exclusionary or isolating, but because the tech is so intuitive, it's almost taking this huge superpower and democratizing it. And what you were just articulating, Helen, is that what we need more of now than ever through prompt engineering and that domain expertise is we need business. We need business and we need business not to fear the technology because if we don't have the business people in there driving the prompts, driving the, Oh no, that was like stupid answer question. Like I know you've played with chat GPT a lot, Helen, like you've got to go back and forth and it's not something that you just write a requirement and it gives it back to you. You've got to literally put it in and say, how do I ultimately get to the point where it's giving me something good in response? How do you think about this as almost creating this sense of um, business has always been important, but kind of elevating business with the democratization of AI? What, what do you think about that? 
I think the what comes top of mind is data safety. Right? Imagine yeah. if you work for a company where you know certain information should not be put in there unless you know for sure. Uh, it wouldn't get to everyone's hand, right? For example, merger acquisition information or, um, you know, for insurance policy, right? Any confidential information should not be in the open area. But then if AI can be used safely and, and then in the private environment and we can automate that process so much more, it would be really powerful, right? But, you know, for me, as, as an, if you're an executive working with an executive, you have to help remove that fear from them, right? So ensure that it's a secure environment, reliable, secure, and dependable environment. That's number one. Number two, we have to, there's a fear, you know, human, you, you know, no one wants to be replaced by AI, by the way. But, you know, right. we, we love to be augmented, right? Think about if you have hundreds, <laughs> thousand policies out there, I don't want to sit there. I, I started my career as there's a There's a lot of things that I wish could be done more efficiently. Oh like my you, God. You, you said the grunt work, right? Like no. I don't, none of us really ever aspired to do the grunt work exactly. ever. Exactly. We did the grunt work because we had to. Yeah. <laughs> I started my career as an accountant. I used to do the bank reconciliation, <laughs> right? Imagine we worked 12 to 14 hours a day doing those debit and credit. I mean, I don't, I don't want to do that. No one wants to do that. That's why I switched to a different <laughs> field, right? And I know. You and yeah, I've I never know. talked that we both, we both started our <laughs> career doing account oh, racks. Right. I mean, what, what? Lead seats. Do you remember lead yeah. seats, Helen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's being said, if AI can take those work away, allow us yeah. to focus on data, you know, analyzing the data, you know, really doing more interesting work, I'm all for it. But people need to be educated. A lot of people still don't understand what AI is. ChatGPT, right. you know, democratize that and then, you know, allows us to feel and see how it works and, and, and to see instant result. And then that's much better. But years ago, it was not the case. So people you need to take time, right? Allow people to understand what it's like and how uh, kind of the impact it could have on our uh, day-to-day work. Well, I absolutely love that. I could talk to you forever about these things. Your Your perspective is just so compelling and so, right? It's just like real. What are any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, Lisa, I would uh, just leave three Ps to the listeners, right? When it comes to AI in insurance, you have to have a purpose, uh, meaning that the purpose you want to really give to the community and leveraging the technology. And two is what problem, the problem you're trying to solve, right? You don't just want to, hey, use AI or claim you have AI for the sake of claiming that you have AI. Except for that byline. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think a lot of people out there writing about AI, you can tell it was written not by them with the deep knowledge, right? Very obvious. But then there's also, you have to have patience. The third P is about being patient, right? AI is a tool. You wouldn't just pump in the data and comes out the result instantly. You have to, you know, really put in the right data and then algorithm and then have the right you know representation of the data allow that to really run and test and you have to train ai so that ai knows 
what you would like to get out of that if you put in certain input and here's the expected outcome. So you have to interact with AI to allow AI to work more efficiently and then to serve for the better good of the people and society. Well, I love that. I love all discussions with you. And those three Ps are very, 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 very relevant. Thank you so much, Helen, for being a guest today. Thank you to all of our listeners um, for joining us today on this episode of Insurance Unplugged, AI in the City. Until next time, I'm Lisa Wardlaw signing off. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged, uncovering all the behind the scenes AI in the city, sponsored by Expert.ai.